You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Um, we're, we're coming to the end of this series that we've been going through the book of James. And we initially started it last fall. And sometimes we take a while through because we, we hit different <coughs> topics but we've been doing this uh, series through the book of James. He was the half-brother of Jesus. And we, uh, history says that he eventually had his life taken because he followed his brother. And if you, if you look at the narrative in Scripture, it says that he actually probably did not believe earlier on. But something happened to make him believe. So we should take his words uh, to heart when he writes these things, when he writes this letter. And really practical stuff. I hope, I hope it's been uh, God working into you even to open up the book. Um, next Sunday, just to let you know, it's going to be the last series or last sermon as we finish up at the end of chapter 5 in James. And just, uh, just to let you know in front, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, prayer of faith next week. And we're actually going to pr- do some healing prayer. So not to freak you out, but get ready to come. If you're hurting, come getting ready to ask God to heal. Come, come ready asking God. Bring your pains. Bring your hurts. Let other people know if they've got hurts and pains in their life. We're going to be doing some of that next week, so I don't want to spring down on you. We're going to be doing that next Sunday. But today we're looking at uh, the passage right before in, in James chapter 5, and as I was thinking about it, we'll read it in a moment, but um, man, I remember a little while ago I, I needed a book very desperately for some research, some stuff in the church, and I'm, I'm a dinosaur because I actually still like this thing called a book which has paper and binding and glue, and you can hold. I know that's considered ancient dinosaur kind of stuff right now because you can load onto your devices and read, and some of you like love trees and you think I'm evil right now. It's okay, I still love you. Um, but I, I still like holding books, so I'm kind of particular about that. So I needed this book. I'm like, oh, man, I, I, I realized I don't have it. And it was amazing because I went on, on Amazon, and I was like, Okay, let me, let me order this, John. I looked at it. It said, same day delivery. I'm like, what? What? So I pressed it. I pressed, ordered it that morning. And later that afternoon, someone brought it to my door. I'm like, what a great world we live in. This is unbelievable. You could have your food brought to you. You can have your groceries brought to you like in a moment. Like you want something fast, someone will do it even faster. I mean, this is a truly amazing time we live in. Uh, I used to have this weird thing where I would listen to music in the radio or uh, going in, like, in the mall somewhere and some music are playing, and I would be like, man, what is this song? This is great. If I wasn't mocked, I would start dancing right now, but I don't know what it is. And here's what I used to do. I used to like have a pad of paper that I carried around with me, and I would write down some lyrics. I would write down lyrics and hold it with me until like I'm listening to radio or someone, and I hear it. I'm waiting for them to say the name of the song. Like I used to, and would, now there's like apps, and some of you have like these apps where you can actually find out the song that's playing around you. I'm like, what the heck? We live in an amazing time in history. Like you want to know something? I mean, some of you who have no scruples, if you're at like trivia night uh, at the pub, you could like look up everything you ever wanted right there. Like right at your fingertips, you can have access literally to the whole world's information. It's insane. Everything is so fast now. Um, But here's the thing. You would think that living in a world where I literally can have something delivered to me on the same day that I want it. That I can, at the snap of my fingers, get exactly information that I want. 
You would think that would make me such a peaceful person. You would think that having all that access now, like now I'm lounging back. It's like, whoa, yo, I used to have to wait for like a week for that book. Now I've got all this time. So I've got all this time to just commune with God now. Lord, you know, you would think that I would be so much at peace, so restful. I'm, I'm like more anxious. I'm like more mad. I'm more impatient. I'm more frustrated because it's not true, right? In fact, I think having everything so accessible, um, having everything be able to be uh, available on an instant actually serves to frustrate us even more. I mean, we don't marvel at the book that gets delivered that same day. We get angry about the book that doesn't. We don't marvel at the fact that you can download like anything now, but we get frustrated it doesn't download quicker than 10 seconds. We don't marvel at the fact that back in the day, you you remember when like you could not watch a movie that you really wanted to? And then, like, VHS came out. That's a whole... But back in the day, like, something came on TV. Oh, I gotta watch it right now because we now don't know when it's gonna be on TV again. Now you can load up anything you want at any time. But what do we do? We get frustrated when our bandwidth is not fast enough to load it, like, in three seconds. Like, why am I paying this money to Comcast? I, I want to make clear, because some of you are thinking, if you don't mean, oh, he's one of those dinosaur types that's about to rail into technology, and he wishes we all had carts and buggies again. I'm not a modern, like, anti-technology kind of guy. Um, I'm not saying it's not convenient, and it's not even cool to, to have all this. But here's what I do think. I think living in a society where we have everything so readily available... Um, that in some ways the goal of technology is it's some incredible things like medical technology and healing that wasn't possible before, but it's also to make everything faster, everything more available, and, and as everything is kind of geared to wait, make you wait less and less and less, I think there's something actually damaging to our souls about that. I think there's something kind of damaging to who we are as the world moves more and more that way. Because here's the thing about our souls— Um, if you want to experience deep joy, if you want to experience like peaceful satisfaction in this journey of knowing God and faith, it will require patience. If you want to know God deeply, and I'm not just saying like kind of know about him, but you want to know him like deeply in your soul, it will require patience. And that's what James is writing about here, starting in verse five of chapter five, uh, verse seven of chapter five. Let me read it for us. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, a judge is standing at the door. And as as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So there's a connection to the previous passage. If you remember this from a few weeks back, this word therefore then, in the original language, is this word un. Therefore, or then, 
It's saying, now, in light of what's come before, here's how God is leading us to respond. So, James, if you remember in the first part of chapter 5, he's speaking to evil people. He's speaking to people who propagated injustice, especially against the poor. That's who he was speaking to. So now, in verse 7, therefore, what he's now speaking is probably to those who received some of the injustice, who bore some of the injustice, maybe who are suffering under powerful rich people who are doing it for the sake of evil. So he's saying now, therefore, now, here's how you should respond. So when you have injustice committed against you, there's two possible responses. One, you can be outraged. You can be outraged or you can give up. But I would say the full expression of either of those are ultimately lacking. But in this passage, James, what he does instead, he puts forth the godly response, which is patience. Um, I, I don't know about many of you, but when you read like the descriptions of the fruits of the Spirit, things like love, I mean, that sounds very Christian. Joy, I mean, that sounds real Christian, right? Patience... That sounds kind of weak sauce. I mean, that's just me, right? Like, I don't like the idea of patience. In, on its face, patience seems like a really passive personality trait. Kind of you just suck it up and take it. Um, but what we have to understand is that biblical patience, it's connected to an object in waiting. So when we think about patience <coughs> excuse me, in the Bible, it's always with what's coming in mind. So patience, then, it's a really active form of obedience. It's, it's not passive. It's actually very active in waiting. So when we say that there is waiting with an object in mind, um, it, we have to be clear on this. Patience, the goal of patience is not just to say, well, you know, patience is a nice personality characteristic, so we should be patient. Good people are patient. That might be true, but that's not really what this is saying here. Um, th- this is the idea that there's something worth waiting for. That's why we're patient. Why are we patient? Because something good is coming. So James, he, he, he lines up some illustrations to form this concept of patience in our minds. He starts in verse 7. He talks about a farmer. He talks about a farmer who's waiting for the fruit to come. But for the fruit to come, he has to be patient and wait for the early and the late rains. So what this means is James is talking about the Palestinian climate in, in which the autumn rains, they come just after sowing. So after you've sown your seed, these autumn rains come, and then the spring rains, they come just after the, uh, just before the harvest. So before you're going to collect everything you've planted, that's when the spring rains come. <coughs> Excuse me. These are the two most critical rains that are spread out. Here's the thing. If, if you're just waiting for fruit to come because you've worked hard, it, it's not going to come without the rains. And if you notice the timing, it's from like the autumn to the spring. You're going to be waiting a while. There's going to be a while where it seems like nothing's happening, but it says here it's because you got to wait for the rains to come. These rains are critical. And obviously, James is then applying that to our spiritual lives, to our journeys. And I think most of us get this in theory, right? Yeah, yeah, you know what, God, he, he wants to do some good things in me, but it's going to take some time. It'll take some watering. I, I understand that. I've planted. I love horticulture. I'm, I'm into all that. I understand that. I think most of us get this in theory, at least when we're kind of clearer in our heads. But at least for me, we've got to be continually reminded of, of the nature of faith and how life happens and how growth occurs in Christ. Because again, we live in a world that feeds your need to be impatient. 
Everything around you makes you want to be impatient because everything happens in a blip of an eye. And the weird thing is we try to attach that to spiritual principles as well. We talk about the three principles that will change and shake your life forever. You can become a whole new person in 90 days. Well, no, probably not. Because God's ways are very countercultural, and this might be one of the most countercultural. In in an instant, you can have it today on your device, a drone can deliver your package kind of culture. God's ways that are saying, hey, this might take a while. You might plant some stuff, but you need to wait for these rains to come. It might take a little bit for you to see fruit. That's extremely countercultural. Guys, your growth as a mature follower and worshiper of God will require patience. And if you're like me, you hate hearing that right now. You're like, I am not a patient person. This stinks. I like fast past everything. But God promises fruit in your life if you're patient. And the thing is, some fruit will be immediate. Some things that happen in your life will be immediate. And, and I'll be very honest, it is so sweet when that happens. I, I use the example, say we have worship, and we've seen this, where people have come. It's like their first time ever at the village. They haven't been in church in a long time, and they come, and, and God is just doing something in their life, and they hear the word of God, or they're praying, or they meet someone, and like you can tell they are viscerally shaken. Like there is something visibly going on. Like God is like meeting them at that moment. And I love talking to them because they, they can't deny that God has done something in their life, but I'm always a little cautious. I'm always a little cautious too because I'm like, yeah, you need to come back. You need to read your Bible tomorrow. You need to pray. This is not a one shot like big Jesus vitamin or big Jesus shot. And like y'all good now? Because God can work in an instant. That's real. But sometimes I think some of my concern with some expressions of the Christian faith, it's this posture of always looking to God to work in an instant. And I believe God can work in, in a milli instant. I believe that's possible. Um, I, I believe it can happen, and I actually pray for that. Whenever I pray for our Sunday worship, I pray, God, would you do some things here that we were not expecting at all? I, I believe that. Um, but I think sometimes where some of us can lose our faith is if we're looking for that to be the norm. If we're expecting that that would be how it always happens. That somehow, maybe some of you have even experienced this. Hey, I come to Sunday worship. You told me to come to this place, so I'll experience transformation. I came. It's 1130. That was okay. I feel the same. And we give up on what God is doing because maybe something didn't happen in the instant. But guys, we have to realize God is working. Or because we don't feel like God's working, sometimes we might try to force situations Or we might try to manipulate people. We might try to make things happen because we believe God's doing something, but it doesn't seem to be happening fast enough. So we're like, well, maybe God wants to meet, you know, God doesn't want us to just sit there. Maybe he wants me to do something. Um, Check, always have wisdom. Because um, when we try to manipulate situations or people, it almost never goes well. And we see that in our lives, but we also see that in Scripture. Probably one of the best examples, there's this cat named Abraham. And, and this guy Abraham and his wife Sarah, they were given this amazing call to say, hey, from you, all the people are going to come. All of my people are going to come from you too. The problem is they were old and they had no children yet. 
And God said, you're going to be fruitful and multiply, and then all the nations are going to come from you. So after a while of waiting, they were like, cool, cool. But after a while of waiting, no child. Nothing's happening. So Abraham and Sarah, they come up with this plan. Uh, maybe God didn't mean it would come from us, but Abraham, maybe you should get with my maidservant. And let's have a kid through her. And maybe that's the way God wants to do this. When God was very clear, it would come from them. And that had its whole, whole other journey. It did not go well. When we try to force the hand, when we don't wait in patience when God might be calling us to wait, sometimes things go really poorly. Because, yeah, sometimes faith looks like God moves in an instant. But often, faith, the nature of faith is expecting fruit to come, but realizing we need some rains to fall as well. We need to wait for some rains as well. And time might be involved that's on a different clock than you or I would expect. We call that sanctification. That's a real fancy word that Christians use sometimes. Talk about our growth. That growth and maturity, becoming more like Jesus, it requires patience. And guys, I'm trying to say this to encourage you here. If some of you feel that the Christian journey is really difficult... You feel kind of duped because someone said, hey, come follow Jesus. Everything's going to be roses and champagne. And you start following Jesus. You're like, hey, this is hard. Wow, this is painful. Wow, I'm like aware of stuff I didn't even know was in there. Wow, this is really hard. I'm crying all the time. What the heck is going on? You might even think in those moments that something is wrong with you. Maybe that you're not doing it correctly. Or, or maybe, that, maybe even that God is punishing you. Or that you're not being faithful enough. But I want to encourage you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Trust God. Be patient. Not just because being patient is a good characteristic. But because you believe God is at work. That God is bearing fruit in your life. Even as you might struggle. You know how some of you really encourage me. And I don't know if you encourage yourself. But you encourage me. Is when you let me know of how God is working in your life. Because sometimes I'm not aware of those things. Or like what I do with my kids. And I'm just becoming an old man. And when I say things like this. I like go back in Facebook. And I look at when they were like fat little babies. Like just fat amorphous kind of babies. I'm like. And I look at them now. And they're growing to beautiful young women. But I'm like what the heck. When did that happen? Wow. They're like so advanced now and developing. I feel in some ways the same way about some of you. Because I remember like when you first came in here. I'm like, wow, God's really grown them. I didn't even realize how they've grown. That's amazing. Look at what God has done in their life. But the thing is, you rarely recognize that at the moment. It comes when you see and you remove 10,000 feet a little bit. And you see how God is working So I want to encourage you, especially if you're struggling in your journey right now, be patient. It might not be that you're doing something wrong. It might actually be evidence that something is going right. I'll be really honest. Sometimes I don't get nervous so much when people tell me they're struggling. I get really nervous when people tell me, oh, everything's great. So, So how's God convicting you? Oh, nothing really. Everything's just great. Um. How do you need to grow? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm pretty good right now, I think. I get really nervous when I hear that. Because not that that's necessarily bad, but a sign that God is often at work in our life is sometimes in the midst of the struggle, 
Like you're aware of sins that you were never aware of. And the Holy Spirit is bringing to life, convicting you. God is showing you, wow, you're not as loving as you thought you were. Because he put these people in your life. And it's showing you. And God is reminding us that he's at work. So be patient. And then he gives, James gives us a very practical application of this patience at work in verse 9. Let me read that again. It says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. One of the things I love about our church is when I get to hear and see some of you here, and I see that you really get it. Especially if you're newer to this Christian faith, I see you get it. What I mean by that is this. You really get by what you say or what I see in you that, man, there's no way I could earn this favor from God. Wow, God has been so merciful. Like, wow, the Christian religion is not about me finally doing the right things. It's about God showing mercy to me when I couldn't. And that Jesus took my sacrifice on a cross. Wow. Because when you understand that, that's, that means you're a recipient of great mercy. You understand that God has given you tremendous mercy. But, but here's a way then that I can tell when we started to lose sight of God's mercy in our life. If you can look at the posture you have towards the people who drive you bonkers. Think of the people that just drive you insane. Think of the people that like make you want to run up a wall. And it's just because of who they are, right? Or maybe what they do. Think about those people who frustrate you. Think about and picture in your mind those people who bad things happen to them. And you're like, well, they're just getting what they deserve. Serves them right. They're getting what they deserve. Because what James is talking about here when he talks about patience is that patience is required to walk with other people who are receiving the same grace of God that you and I are. We will need to have patience if we're going to walk with people who are getting the same grace that you and I do. Because we have to recognize that the people you get tired of, the people who annoy you, the people that you want to give up on, God doesn't give up on them. That, that God never sits in heaven and he's just seeing them struggling like, man, are they ever going to get this together? They've been doing this for decades. Yeah, and he never gets weary of their struggles, just like he doesn't get weary of your struggles. God doesn't get sick of them, just like God doesn't get sick of you. God's love is so great that in a whole lifetime of struggles, God never says, eh, forget you. You've had decades to get this down. God never says that. And he doesn't say it to you either. God doesn't get tired of you. God doesn't get tired of you struggling. So James here, his point then, he's saying, uh, guys, I would be really careful about grumbling against your brother when the only one who really has the right to judge is kind of standing there watching. I'd be really careful about those negative words you have against your brother and sister if the only one who has a right to actually judge us is kind of watching and is given grace, he's saying, be patient. Give mercy to others. Understand that other people are a work in progress, just like you and me. And we need to be patient. James then, he, he then gives evidence of patience by looking into some scriptural, scriptural example. Let me read again, verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. 
You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And I just think it's fascinating that James refers to the story of Job. And I'll be forth right here. I would love one day to do a series through the book of Job, but there's something about holding me back because I've noticed that usually when I preach through different books of the Bible, God takes me through some of the same kind of journey. And when you look at Job, all he does is suffer. I'm like... I know suffering's involved, but I don't want to choose it if I have a choice here. Because if you look at the story of Job, basically Job was this wealthy man, owned a lot, great big family. He loved God. He worshiped God with all his heart. But then you see in this story that God is so pleased with Job, but there's the accuser, Satan, who tells God, yeah, God, you got this, you you got your homie Job, but you know why he's worshiping you like this, right? Because you're giving him all this swag. His life's great. Of course he's going to worship you. You take that away. You see what this guy's going to do. So God and, and God, the accuser has to get permission, but God gives permission. You take those things away. Let's see what happens. And Job, he loses his uh, livelihood, loses everything he owns. He loses his kids. Whole gaggle of them. He loses them. It's heartbreaking stuff. It's easy for us to read these stories kind of like, Tolkien or something and forget these are like real people we believe? Imagine a heartache with that. And here's what's described as Job's response after he's lost everything. It says this, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And can you imagine God the Father? God is like looking at at Job and the accuser is like, yeah, wait till he loses everything. Wait till he's got nothing left, God. Then you'll see what kind of worship he is. And God's like, whoa, 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 you hear that? You hear Melania and the praise team? Yo, that's Job next to them. He's singing like, blessed be the name. He's singing praise to me even though he's got nothing. So the accuser's like, oh, okay, okay. You, you, wow, you got a real religious guy there. Um, let, let's take his health away. And God says, okay. So he breaks out in boils from head to toe. His body is like utterly broken. To the point where his wife, and kind of a cosmic joke, God takes everyone but this woman from him. And this wife says, are you still holding on to your integrity? She's basically calling him a loser. Curse God and die, you fool. That's what she says to Job. That's what she says to her husband. You fool. You keep worshiping this God. You give him all your praise. And what's he done for you? He's taken allowed everything to be taken away. He's taken away all your riches. Taken away all your land. Taken away all your kids. You don't even have your health anymore. Curse God and die, you fool. And Job's wife, what she reveals is that, I mean, she reveals one of the most common, but I think significant theological errors that we can have about God. Because I think usually when we think about blessing, and we talk about it, right? We, we think about if, we have, if we're praying with like young people, we'll say, hey, what can we thank God for? How has God blessed us? And we think about maybe financial security. We think about our jobs. Or we think about family. We think about health. We think about having a place to live. And, oh, man, there's so many people that don't have, but look how much we have. And I want to be very clear. Those are all blessings. It's appropriate to say, I didn't earn that. God gave it to me. And be thankful. And realize those are blessings. But what happens, I think, we have to understand how blessing is explained here in this passage. Look at it. What does it say? Who is blessed? Those who remain steadfast. 
Blessing is what we have. Blessing is what we're given. But here it says, yo, you need to understand a much deeper level of blessing. Being blessed is those who remained steadfast. What this is saying is that the blessed person is the one who seems to have lost everything in this world. Maybe lost everything. Maybe you people, everyone around you thinks you're an utter fool because you keep coming to church. You keep worshiping God. You keep, you keep following him when you seem to have lost everything. Everything that the world considers valuable, it's kaput. Yet you're blessed because you're still holding on to God in faith. You still have patient hope. That is what it means to be blessed. I guess the word I would give to you guys here today is resist the temptation to know God only through the lens of your current suffering. Resist the temptation to let your idea of God only be seen through the, through the prism of your current suffering. And I'm, I, we're not a church that kind of like uh, dismisses suffering or says, oh, that's only of this world. One day we're going to be in heaven, and this is not real. That's real. So we're not that. We believe in real pain. We believe in real hurt, that we're in bodies that can tear. We're in flesh that can bleed. We're in relationships that can be broken and lost. We believe in the real pain of those things. But what I do want to say to you is that your suffering is not evidence of God's absence in your life. Amen? Your suffering is not evidence of God's absence in your life, or even that you've been unfaithful. And you might have some cats who are real theologically and deep and know their Bible and might tell you, oh, there, might be, there must be unconfessed sin in your life. Job had friends like that. You might be doing everything right and still suffering as a part of this broken world. But here's what God will do, and this is why you're blessed. God will show you that he is enough even when you have nothing else left. God will show you that he's enough even when you might have nothing else left. Like with Job, God is giving you compassion and mercy. And I want to welcome you if you are suffering here today. Let his kindness lead you to him. Let his kindness lead you to him. Be patient. As a final illustration of patience, James writes in verse 12, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Um, so some of you might get nervous, think he's talking about like cuss word swearing here. I don't think that's the context. Probably a good idea not to cuss anyway, but I don't think that's what he's talking about in swearing here. Um, there's a lot of different explanations that I think are really good and valid. I think really simple when he's talking about making an oath, he's talking about that kind of example like if you're really trying to prove a point to someone or really trying to convince them you're forthright, you say, I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on my children's education. I swear on my dad's health that this, and, and what he's saying is, y- y'all don't need to do that anymore. You don't have to do that. Just let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. You don't have to try to prove. You don't have to try to force the situation. You don't have to try to prove that you're correct. You just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Have patience. Have patience. So patience is it's just essential for this journey of faith. And as the Lord works in us, I, I want you to fix your gaze on a phrase that was used a couple of times at the beginning of the passage. It's from verse 7 where it said, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And this phrase, coming of the Lord, it's talking about a time that's to come. And, and it's helpful to recognize when we talk about the Christian faith, the Christian faith, it, it's not this circular kind of karmic recycling of life 
The Christian faith is not like, well, everything kind of just circles around and one day you might be this and you might be this and so live a good life. Um, the Christian journey is actually a very linear progression. The Christian history, it actually starts at this entrance of this Jesus Christ who came into this world and from that point, it's just going all the way. It, it's going all the way through history. And, and for you, if you're a Christian, you have a distinct mark on that line. On that line of history, there was a moment for you when you received Jesus Christ and you experienced salvation. You received hope. Your life was transformed in a moment. And from that point, you've been moving away from something, but you've also been moving towards something. You've been moving away from a life of sin, but you've been moving towards knowing Jesus fully. And the thing that we're moving toward is Jesus Christ's return. When, when he finalizes, when he consummates everything he did on this cross and the resurrection. Basically, a day is coming when God is coming to get us. And he's going to make everything that seems so wrong, right. If you are frustrated at this world, if you are frustrated when you see the news, if you're frustrated at your neighborhood, if you're frustrated at your family, if you're angry about things going on, if there are some things people do that make you want to punch them in the face, I know that sounds churchy to say that, but sometimes people will do stuff, and maybe sometimes it's you. Maybe sometimes your deepest frustration is you. A day is coming when God promises, I am coming to get you, and I'm going to make everything fully right. And I want to give you a little glimpse of what God promises. And this is not on the screen. Just listen from Revelation 21. Listen, imagine, let your memories just imagine this picture. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That is what's promised to the believer in Jesus Christ. God is coming to get you. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of my daughter. She was at school. And, you know, they're, they're, they're in school. And then I got a call from my wife or a text. I can't remember saying, hey, did you check your phone? They've been trying to get a hold of you. I'm like, why? She's like, and I, I just missed it. Apparently she got sick during school. So she was like throwing up and she was in nurse office and I just didn't see it. So I didn't know. I mean, I'm not thinking like a whole day, guys. Don't think I'm delinquent. But it was like an hour or two. So I finally ran to the school, went to the nurse office. And she's lying there. And I remembered it so clearly. I'm like, hey, you okay? She's like, I waited so long for you. I'm like, yo, that was like an hour at the most. Where were you? I waited so long. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes when you're in the midst of your stuff? Some of you are in deep pain right now. We're not a church community that's about kind of just ignoring stuff. Some of you are wrestling with deep heart issues. You're wounded. Some of you are struggling with yourself. Some of you have got deep family hurts. 
Some of you have deep longings that you just feel God's not doing what he, you thought he would. Some of you are struggling with your health. Some of you are struggling financially. Some of you are just gripped in this painful depression or anxiety. Some of you are haunted by body issues, maybe eating disorders. Some of you just feel like this huge failure. Some of you, your challenge is you feel like you don't love people enough and it's way too easy for you to just walk by hurting people. Whatever different heartaches might be here, guys, God promises that he is coming to get you. God is coming to get you. Since you entered this place today, you are like one hour closer to being with God. Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know if we think that way normally. Since you entered this place, you are that much closer to one day fully being with God, fully consummated, not struggling with the things that you've always struggled with. There is, day, there is a day coming when you will no longer need to fight. There's a day coming when you are no longer needing to fight this anger issue that you have. There's this day coming when you're no longer such pressure to have to impress everyone around you and you're working yourself to the bone because you want to be respectable. There's a day coming when you're not going to be ruled by the passions of everyone else and needing to be loved to the point of crippling you. There's a day coming when you're not going to be having to fight this temptation of lust anymore. It's not even going to be an issue anymore because you're going to be too busy worshiping. There's a day coming when God will come get you. Until that day, be patient. Hold on. Trust him. He's coming. Be patient. Let me ask you to stand with me. And I want to ask you, this, uh, you know, I, I don't want you to move on too quickly from this. Again, we are fast-paced people. But can I ask you in, in, in the way God might be moving in your life right now, are there things that you are hurting with, that you're struggling with, that you've been waiting on? Are you trying to manipulate situations or people? Are there things that sometimes cause you to doubt that God is even real? You have voices in your head saying, curse God and die, or maybe it's even within yourself. Can I ask you to come humbly before God this day? And if, if you're a Christian, I would invite you to come to the table in the front here and take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, come up both aisles, and remember that God gives us these things to remind us that he's coming, he's faithful. Be patient, patient in hope. Bring your pains to him. God is not a God who's upset by you. You cannot um, frustrate him. He wants you to come to him. If you want to receive prayer, we'll have some prayer people over to my left side over here that want to pray with you. One of the best things you can do is just not keep things to yourself, but pray with someone. Let someone lead you in prayer and speak to God together. But can I ask you, take a moment right now, before you come up right away, before you start doing things right away, rest in God, be patient. Ask what's he trying to say to you in this moment today. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends here, brothers and sisters those who are seeking you. Help us to be patient in a world that doesn't really cultivate patience. Lord, everything is so fast, and sometimes we even bring in the same formula to you. But would you remind us today that maybe one of the best things you want us to do is slowly wait on you. 
and be faithful and be obedient and be patient, believing that fruit is coming, even if it's not fully here yet. Maybe for some of us, Lord, you're reminding us that we grumble a little too much against everyone else and our estimation of ourselves is a little too high and the grace we give to someone else is a little too low. Maybe for some of us, Lord, we are going through a Job kind of season. Would you help us to be able to worship you in the midst of that, even if everyone else says curse God and die because we have you. Lord, we would not have to bring our oaths and swear by anything, but we can just yet our, let our yes be yes and no be no and just be patiently following you. Whatever it might be, Lord, draw us to yourself today. I pray as a church we would give space to be patient with one another, to be family together. So help us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed us on the cross what it meant to have a patient perspective towards transformation. Even when no one else knew what was going on, you knew. Give us a glimpse of that today. We thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. Pour out grace in this place, Lord. Pour out grace unto hurting today. Heal, Lord, those who are hurting today. Let your kindness bring us back to you.